It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Ron Spomer Outdoors Podcast starring Covey. Gubby the Wonder Dog has been out of commission a little bit here lately. She's not very happy. This time of year, it's the nesting season. Fawns are hitting the ground. We don't let Cubby run around <laughs> on the ranch like she's used to doing. So she's a little bit dejected, aren't you? Are you unhappy? <laughs> she's also putting on weight we don't need. <laughs> okay, Cubby, you're going to help me out this time? You want to read any of these? No, I don't want to read anything. Smart dog. You're going to get bored again, aren't you? <laughs> All right, we're going to start off with uh, a little exchange between a patron and me. If you're joining us on Patreon, we answer your questions and help out with your decisions on which rifles to use and cartridges and all sorts of things. And this gentleman, Russ, has been asking me some things. Let's just start off with his initial uh, question. Sir, your podcasts are excellent. You're very patient. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm just wondering if everything else being equal, that the ammo cost and recoil of the 243 Winchester puts it in the really fun category as opposed to the 6.5 Creedmoor. I know the Creedmoor doesn't kick like others, and I'm not sure about its ammo costs, but the shootability issue, even the muzzle rise, it might make the 243 the best all around before we get into the serious application category of cartridges. I noticed the uh, pricing. Um, of the 243 is among the most popular ammunition cartridges selling. All right. So I wrote back, we have probably not more than about a three foot pounds difference between the 243 and 6.5 in recoil. The Creedmoor is more versatile for hunting because you can find bullets as heavy as 147 grains, but the 243 is more than adequate for deer and is great for coyotes, rodents, and pronghorns. Russ writes back, would you say that the 243 is easier to spot your shots like the 6.5? Uh, the six millimeter Creedmoor is. Um, I'll uh, put it this way. If you could pick a center fire that is versatile, useful, and very fun to shoot, which would you pick? So I wrote him back. I just laid it out. I said, I would pick the 243 Winchester. It takes bullets from 55 grains to 105 grains, and it has light recoil. So I think that's pretty versatile for a fun gun. He writes back again. So do you like it better than the 22? 2250 or the 223. Thanks for your input. It doesn't seem my shootability is getting to be more important than ever. I have a 6.5 Creedmoor, but I'm just not sure I need that much gun. If you can believe that a 6.5 could be called that much gun. So I wrote back again. I said, Russ, I don't know that I like the 243 Winchester more than the 22250, but I find it the better option for deer. Many states don't allow 22 calibers for big game hunting. That 
finally settled it, I think. So Russ wrote back and said, well, thank you. Now, I expect to hear from him soon to tell me which one he actually bought. What did you think of that? Was that a good choice, Cubby? The 243? Wasn't that not one you would pick? thought that was your favorite. All right, now let's see if the, the team has sent me new questions to answer. Alan from Florida, currently working in Korea. Well, I'll be. Ron, I'm a huge fan of your videos. I want to return back to Florida. I want to put your maximum point blank range system into use. I've watched your video regarding that a few times and still a bit confusing for me. I also noticed that you have some paper sheets with ballistic data on them in your videos, and that includes the maximum point blank range for that particular load. It would be quite nice if you'd start uploading those information sheets to your website. That's a good idea. I do have some on there, but not for every video I do. So thank you for making the best videos and writing thousands of articles. Well, you're certainly welcome, Alan. Let's see if we can't cover maximum point blank range and make it understandable. I get it. It took me years when I was younger to get this figured out. It was kind of a big mystery until I heard somebody suggest, think of shooting down a long culvert or pipe. Now, the pipe would be the diameter of the vital zone of your animal. So we're going to go with a white-tailed deer, mule deer, pronghorns, pretty much all the same. You figure you've got at least 10 inches of vital zone there with the heart, lungs, that whole area on the chest. But if you want to be safe, because you might pull your shot a little bit or misjudge the distance or the windage, you want to shrink that down from a 10-inch circle to an 8. And I, these days, am getting more conservative. We even go with a 6-inch circle. So let us imagine we're going to shoot down a perfectly straight 6-inch diameter pipe that stretches for miles and miles. We start off with our barrel right in the center of that pipe. If we tilt the barrel slightly upwards, which we always do, the only way you can get a bullet downrange to hit a target is by aiming a little bit high. Uh, otherwise, it's going to drop because gravity immediately begins to pull it. As soon as it leaves the muzzle, gravity begins to pull. Yes, it's moving very quickly downrange, but it's still falling at the same rate as if you would just drop it. So the bullet is falling. We arc it up just a little bit so that it goes farther before it falls below our target. So if we have that six inch pipe and we aim for the middle and then we cant it up a little bit, but not too much because we don't want to hit the top of the pipe until we're quite a ways down range. And with most cartridges like a 243, 270, to a degree, the 308, 30 x most of the modern bottlenecked cartridges, you can pretty much figure to shoot 230 to 270 yards downrange before you hit the top of the inside of that pipe. Then the bullet begins to drop below the top edge of the pipe. And when it hits the bottom of the pipe, somewhere downrange, that is your maximum point blank range. Because as you can clearly visualize, by aiming for the center or aiming in the center of the pipe, but a little bit high, you keep that bullet inside of that six inch diameter all the way out, climbing, 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 climbing till 250 yards or so, just glancing off the top edge of that pipe and then dropping, dropping, dropping until about 280, 300 yards, you're probably dropping right on your aim point or three to four inches below it. That at distance at which you've dropped three inches below your aim point, the bottom of the pipe, is your maximum point blank range, meaning you aim dead center on your target point blank, pull the trigger and your bullet's going to land in the vital zone. 
That's the point blank range system. You can play on that with dialing additional distance and selecting multiple reticles. Are you leaving us, Cubby? Oh, going to go snoop around. You weren't saying much anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter. Hey, be a good girl down there. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was a good question. Uh, thanks for asking it. Let's see. We've got something here from Kevin in Michigan. Hey, Ron. Well, actually, he says, hello, Ron. Are you interested in the 44GP? a 0 0.430 by 06 by 1.8 that I've been working on for a couple of years. Feel free to drop a line. Have a great day, Kev. I don't know what a 44 GP is. <laughs> I'm sorry. A 0 0.430, that sounds to me like it's the diameter of your bullet and or the bore. And a times 06 would suggest you're using a 30-06 cartridge to build this with. Not quite sure what the times 1.8 is. So, Kevin, I would say I would be interested in this if you can provide me with some more information. <laughs> but uh, th this brings up an interesting thing about Wildcats. This sounds like a Wildcat. Uh, he's been working on it for a couple of years. Maybe it is an established Wildcat and he's just building a rifle for it. But if he is making the Wildcat, what I would like to say is that we have more than enough cartridges that do everything that needs to be done. And yet we continue to make more Wildcats. Why is that? It's because it's just what people do. We always call it good old Yankee ingenuity, but there's just something about the human animal that makes us want to reinvent the mousetrap or improve it just slightly, which is a, obviously a good thing, an important thing. Otherwise, we'd still be making fire by chipping rocks and rubbing sticks together. Someone's always working on a slight improvement. And then guys like us, me, you probably, will complain, oh, another new tweak of a cartridge. Good Lord, they do what they need to do already. Why bother? And I understand that too. But you're just never going to stop it. Wildcatting is fun and educational. So uh, whether you're building a 44 GP or someone else already has, I'm sure that it does something special that no other cartridge does. And if you can get back to me, Kevin, and let me know what that is, be fun to learn about it. All right. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, which is the one I like, and Keto. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 and use the code waypointpod50 to get 50% off. That's waypointpod50 at factormeals.com slash waypointpod50 to get 50% off. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores, 
and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This is from Texas. There's a question from Jason about firearms and cartridges and hunting. Let's see what he's got. I'm looking at either a 300 Win Mag or a 338 Win Mag. A couple of good choices there. I currently have several smaller calibers, a 6.5 Creedmoor, a 243, 7x6, 2x54R, that's a rimmed cartridge, uh, and a 308. But I want to stretch out. I want to start looking at moose and elk hunting. My natural draw is to the 338 Win Mag. But seeing how I'm having a harder time finding that particular ammo these days, I'm having a hard time deciding if that hiccup is worth it, or would the 300 Win Mag provide the same stopping power for a Kenai Peninsula moose or a 300-yard herd bull elk? Would it be as effective as the 338? Thanks in advance, and my apologies for the run-on sentences. Well, Jason, I think your uh, sentences were quite well done here. I don't see any run-on sentences. One of the better grammar uh, platforms I've seen for far on these questions, so congratulations on that. Okay, um, my answer for you, Jason, would be your 300 Win Mag is more than enough. That will handle the biggest moose wandering in Alaska or anywhere else. Um, if you shoot the heavier bullets in it, you're going to come so close to the performance of the 338 Win Mag and actually... For some downrange work with the higher BC bullet you're going to get as a result, you'll probably put more energy on target. Some folks will say, well, the 338, you've got a 33 caliber bullet, so it's a bigger diameter hole to start with. I don't think really that small of a difference is going to make that much difference. I have taken moose with 30 on sixes, 270 WSMs, 6.5 by OT6. 120 grain bullet in that, and it did it just as well as the bigger stuff did. What else have I used on moose? 280 Ackley improved, uh, seven rem mag. Um, I really haven't used a 338 on a moose yet, I don't think. Um, and same with elk. Elk, I think, are a little bit more durable than moose. It just, that seems to be their reputation, and I seem to have noticed it too. I one time shot a bull elk broadside inside of 300 yards. It's probably more like 250. With the 30, um, it was the 300 SOM, the uh, Remington Short Action Ultra Mag, and it was a real steep uphill angle. Borrowed the rifle just the day before to go after this thing. So I didn't have a lot of experience with it. I knew it was zeroed and all the rest, but bingo, there he is in easy range. So I put it on his shoulder and shot, no reaction. Like, what, did I miss? Maybe shooting a little bit high or maybe I'll aim a little bit low because it's a steep angle. My shot's gonna go a little bit higher. I'll aim low chest. And an elk's chest, my gosh, guys, you've got 24 inches of chest there. You've got a huge vital zone. So I aimed a little bit low, figuring even if I did shoot right where I was aiming, I was going to get him in the heart. Shot again, no reaction. I mean, this elk just kind of looked around, kept doing his thing, walking slowly broadside on that hillside. Third shot, 
Well, maybe it's shooting a little bit low. I'll aim a little bit higher on the chest. <laughs> Again, no response. But he walked forward a little bit more than he had been doing. And I think at that point, I needed to reach in my pocket and pull out another round to load it. I think we only had three in the, in the rifle. The last shot, I got a jolt reaction out of him. And I thought, oh, good. Now I've hit him. And then he began to sway. And he was losing consciousness because his blood pressure was dropping hit the ground and rolled down the hill and nearly killed me by rolling into me. I mean, that was that steep. Boulders were coming down the hill. Tree branches were breaking off. Part of his antlers broke off and came flying by me. I had hit him all four times. He didn't even respond. I can't remember if it was a 180 grain bullet or a 200. I'm thinking I'm pretty sure it was 180 grain. The point being that they can take a shot and not show it. But I've seen moose do the same thing. You shoot and they don't even react. So don't expect to knock these things down with a bigger hammer. I think that's a mistake that a lot of people make. It doesn't hurt to have a bigger hammer, but you sure don't need it because they're going to die from hemorrhaging the way almost everything does. You tear up the vital organs as much as you can, and the quicker that they lose blood pressure, the faster they faint, and then they expire from that. So... I think you're going to just find with that 300, it has with those heavier bullets, higher sectional density than the 338 with roughly the same or close weight bullets. Say a 200 grain bullet in the 308 to 225 in the 338, you're going to have a higher SD with that longer bullet in the 308 or your 300 Magnum. So there's potential for more penetration, which is something that you want on the bigger animals like elk and moose. Bigger bones, bigger muscle mass. You want to make sure that bullet gets into the vitals from strange angles. Sometimes you have to take a going away quartering angle. So you need to have good penetration there. So yes, use a good controlled expansion bullet, either a bonded one or a partition style or an all copper hollow point bullet, those work beautifully. And I think you're going to do just fine with your 300. All right, greetings, Mr. Spomer from Daniel in Virginia. I just recently discovered you and your channel. I really enjoy your videos. Thank you, sir. My daughter and I want to start getting into hunting. Well, great. Welcome to the club, guys. I have little to no experience, but I do have experience in shooting rifles, mainly the M16 in the Marine Corps. What would be a good caliber that we could both enjoy using for white-tailed deer and potentially smaller game? Also, my daughter is a little hesitant about shooting my AR-15, even though she has shot it. All right, those are some great questions, Dan, and a couple of answers, a couple of ways you can go here. You can start off with a 22 rimfire, especially with your new shooter, your daughter. That is such a great no-noise, no-recoil, just easy to learn to shoot with cartridge and rifle that you can develop all the essential shooting skills, trigger control, proper form and grip, making sure you're using the dominant eye. Um, it's not as critical as with a shotgun, but still worth doing, especially with women. I've noticed my granddaughters both are left eye dominant. I have one grandson who's left eye dominant, and it's just a lot easier to shoot all your long guns with one side. And if you switch to the shotgun and you're a right-handed shooter, suddenly you're not seeing what you're supposed to be seeing. So if you can, start them on the right eye, the dominant eye. 
And then that 22 is going to be great for just learning how to concentrate on the sight picture and squeezing that trigger and that whole program. Inexpensive shooting, and you can do it in a short range. You don't have to have a 100-yard range. You can do it at 25 yards. Great way to start. If you want to get right into the center fires, a real nice one to work similarly is a 223 Remington. Inexpensive ammunition. I've seen some recently at $10 a box. Not high quality stuff. It's probably not going to be super accurate, but good enough for learning the basics. And then you can step up to a little better quality ammunition for precision shooting later. But again, minimum recoil, quite a bit more noise, but then you need to get used to the noise too. Not by enduring it, by protecting yourself with it. Some sort of hearing protection is necessary to avoid flinching and protect your hearing. You uh, damage it every time a shot goes off. Now with your 223 and a 22 as well, really you do need good hearing protection. Get some clamshells, put in some foam plugs, or get some electronic devices that will knock off about 30 decibels of sound off the top to protect that hearing. Um, and then you're going to really Learn to shoot and shoot well. Now, if you want to jump right into a suitable deer cartridge, much as the some folks will hate me saying it, the 6.5 Creedmoor really is pretty hard to beat. I mean, the 243 Winchester, anything in that category, those also work well. The sweet thing about the 6.5 Creedmoor is that it will shoot slightly heavier bullets, which a lot of people like, can help with your penetration. They carry more momentum. They don't launch all that fast. 2,750 feet per second, roughly, with your 140 to 143 grain bullets. Um, but more than enough. And they've got such high BC sleek bullets that are aerodynamically efficient that you can shoot farther downrange with them than you might guess. Not because they've got a lot of initial velocity, but because they retain it. They're not pushing air out of the way and dragging as much. But... Yeah, a lot of people like to make fun of the 6.5 Creamer because it's kind of a fanboy's cartridge. But that's no, no dirt on the cartridge in its performance. It really does the job. And there's a lot of ammunition available. And it's usually pretty darn accurate. They build good, high-quality ammo for that because so many people use the 6.5 Creamer for target shooting. So that's one of the reasons you can recommend it. But anything in that category, something shooting roughly an 80 grain bullet up to about 150 grain bullet, you're going to be set for all of the deer, except for probably moose and elk. You can do it with good shots and good bullets. Plenty of people do, but it's not generally recommended for the bigger stuff. But whitetail, pronghorn, mule deer, sheep, goats, that size animal, feral hogs as well, that'll work just fine. And the recoil is minimal. So... That's what I would recommend, and and don't get it in an AR, um, just because it's kind. Of, to me, it's a kind of a clunky rifle. I mean, if you trained on the M16, you probably love it. A lot of people do. Nothing wrong with that. I just find that there's no advantages in using it for hunting, because you don't need to have large capacity magazines. Um, you just need something slim and trim that's easy to carry and move through the woods. You don't want your barrel too long. 22-inch barrel is a good compromise. Um, but I think it's more psychological than anything. Knowing that you have to shoot once 
operate the bolt, shoot again. It's sort of like using a single shot. You know you need to make that first shot count. And that is the most important part of taking an animal when you're hunting is knowing that you're going to make that shot, not hoping and praying and spraying like we used to say back in the day. Spray and pray is not the way to do it. And I just find even with me, if I get an autoloader in my hands, I just don't think quite as hard about making that first shot count, getting right in the perfect position or getting a little bit closer and bang, one shot kill. Over the years, I have striven to do that and uh, generally achieve by just simply saying, I am not going to shoot until I know I'm going to kill this animal. It sounds like, duh, everybody should be doing that, but... I can promise you, having grown up from uh, a tender age hunting things, you don't necessarily think that. You just want that gun to go off and get over there and get your animal as quickly as you possibly can. (laughs) And that sometimes can cost you. So I guess that's my recommendations. And hey, nothing wrong with a single shot either. doesn't mean you shoot once and go home. It just means you single load it. And if you're shooting precisely, one should be enough. And uh Putting another one in only takes a few seconds if you're experienced at it. So a lot of great options out there. Good question, Daniel. And I uh, wish you and your daughter the the best of luck and success afield. Whether you get your game or not, do uh, absorb and appreciate being out there because that really is what it's all about, bottom line. We love to get the venison, but the opportunity to be out in nature trying to get the venison, boy, for most of us, that's... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. It's a bigger part of the program. All right, from Pennsylvania comes Michael asking what? He says, hey, Ron, I support your programs, and I never miss one. All right. Thank you, Michael. I love your insightful viewpoints and stories. Now, I have a question that possibly others would also have. If I rebarrel an older rifle like a Remington 700, 760, or 7600 with a new barrel, does my allowable pressure increase? For instance, a 35 Whalen with old pressure limits around 52,000 PSI with a new barrel, can that be safely increased to 62,000 PSI? I hope you have the chance to address this question. Uh, by the way, were the older guns limited by the quality of steel in the barrel or the action? And if you change the barrel, does the safe pressure increase because of the barrel construction? All right, those are good questions, Michael. First of all, it is the barrel that holds the pressures in. And then the bolt and its locking lugs that secure the cartridge in the barrel. Most rifles lock in the receiver ring behind the barrel. The barrel screws into the receiver and then the recoil lugs or the uh, locking lugs lock into the metal of the receiver. Some of them will lock into the barrel. The barrel fits into the receiver and then there's notches in the barrel for them to, but it's all, most of the pressure is contained in the chamber of the barrel. It's the barrel that's containing that pressure. There's not as much back thrust as you might think. Uh, And that's because the cartridge expands to the walls in the chamber and that helps hold it. The pressure 
in that cartridge exploding is equalized in all directions. So there's as much actual pressure coming back against the bolt as there is going anywhere else, but there's less surface area on the back of that bolt in comparison to the longer cartridge going against the walls. And of course, the bullet's heading out the barrel and that's where all the gases are going to go once they're freed to move in that direction. So don't worry about that. It is the barrel. Now, don't think that a our Model 700, those didn't come out until 1962. And the steels back then were plenty good enough. Heck, you go back to the first 270s. The 270 Winchester came out in uh, 1925 in the Model 54 Winchester bolt action, which preceded the Model 70. That one didn't come out until 35, I believe. So you are looking at some older rifles. You're probably thinking those are really antiques. <laughs> But they already had the high-quality steels to withstand 65,000 PSIs of pressure. So you're not going to have any problems with the 700, the 760, or the 7600 Remingtons in reburialing it. The barrel is going to have the same pressure standards. And each cartridge maintains the same pressure standards. When SAMI certifies a cartridge, it gives it its maximum average chamber pressure limit. And it's 55,000, 60,000, 65,000, 40,000, whatever it is, that stays all the time. You don't change that. The only exceptions are the plus P cartridges. There are a few. The 257 Roberts is one of them in which the were made long enough ago that they did, did have fairly low pressure allowances for them for some of the older steels and rifles that they were making them in. And then they realized with the modern rifles like the 700 and the 70 and the Savage 110s and the Marlins and the Mossbergs and all the rest of them, you could increase that pressure a lot. I forgot what the PSI of the 257 is. But once they realized that almost all the guns that had been chambered for it can easily withstand more pressure, they started loading it to that higher pressure standard and called it plus P with a warning on the box to use it in functional rifles that were modern, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know exactly how you define that. The upshot is go ahead and rebarrel and whatever the pressure standard is for the cartridge you're putting in there, that's what it'll handle. Let's see what else. Mm, older guns limited. Now, you do have some limitations in some older guns, but they are really old, probably prior to 1900. Uh, the Germans came up with uh, Krupper nickel steel, really strong, I think in the 1890s, maybe the late 1880s. But the Krupper nickel steel was really strong stuff. Now, we've since increased it and improved it, tweaked it a little bit. Prior to that, though, you go clear back into the 1860s and such, you're looking at some really soft actions. You had bronze actions with the original Henry. The Yellow Boy Winchester, uh, 1866, was uh, pretty weak. Even the 1873 Winchester, which started shooting the first centerfire cartridge, the 4440, that one was made of iron. It was fairly soft yet. So it wasn't until the roughly the 1880s, mid to late 1880s, that they really started getting improved steel um, much stronger. So the Trapdoor Springfield of 1873, chambered for the 4570, weak action. So that's why the 4570s are really held to a low pressure standard. 
And all shotguns are really low pressure standards too. As you can look at a shotgun barrel and pretty quickly see why. They're pretty thin compared to rifle barrels. So shotguns are set up for some pretty low uh, pressures. Okay, I think I answered that correctly for you. So yeah, no, you're not going to stuff your wheeling with enough fast powder to get 62,000 PSI. <laughs> you're going to stick with the uh, SAMI specs on all of those. Good question, Michael. I hope my answer wasn't too all over the map here for you. Buddy from Oregon, with improvements to powder and bullets, is it time to revisit the performance gains available in the 30-06 Ackley Improved? Oh, boy. I don't know, uh, buddy, if it is. that As far as I know, the 30-06 Ackley Improved was never a SAMI-spec'd cartridge. So I don't know what the allowable maximum average pressures for that would be. I would imagine you would have to keep them at 30 at six levels. But I always have a question about this because you take the 30 at six, you neck it down to 270 Winchester, and that one takes 65,000 psi, whereas the 30 at six, I think, is only at 60,000, or maybe it's even 58,000, can't remember. So there's a big difference there, yet it's the same case in the same rifle. You get a model 700 or 70 or something chambered for one or the other, and the barrels really aren't any different, just the chamber is cut for that particular cartridge. So I think you probably have actually improved folks pushing those pressures a little bit, but we cannot recommend it. All of the reloading manuals will specify max pressures, and I'm guessing that the, the Ackley Improved is held to the same standards as the 30-06. But um, the powders and the bullets, you are going to find powders that are better balanced for that particular cartridge's volume and the weight of the bullet. It always comes down to balancing the powder to the bullet weight and to a degree the rifling. You just think of the whole friction process that helps create pressure in your rifle. If you have a tighter barrel, and we're talking hundreds of thousands of an inch difference, maybe, yeah, um, in the diameter of the barrel, you will increase the pressure if you tighten that up a little bit. If you tighten the chamber up a little bit, you're going to have less space for the pressure, so you're going to increase it. If you have a tighter rifling twist, there's a little more friction there with the bullet trying to escape, and you're going to increase the pressures. But gosh, if you put in a different primer, you could increase and or decrease the pressures. Um, and then with the powder, you have a fast burning powder, medium burning powder, a slow burning powder, and all sorts of gradations in between. And you can tweak those and balance them for your rifle bullet weight. And the trick there, the basic idea is the lighter weight the bullet, the faster your powder can burn because the bullet does not require a lot of pressure to break the inertia of sitting still. You got that mass just sitting there, you start pushing it with gas pressure and it needs a little bit of pressure to get started. And once it gets started, get on the barrel, boom, there it goes really quickly. It's that initial standing still to get started where your pressures really go up. So if you use a fast burning powder with a big heavy bullet, then they can't get that bullet going fast enough and your pressure spikes. That's how you balance the burning rate of your powders to the weight of your bullet. That's way more important than revisiting uh, modern uh, powders and the modern bullets and whatnot in the cartridge. So no, I think 
just as the 30-06 was, but initially the 150-grain bullet was sent out at 2,700 feet per second, these days you routinely get 2,900 to 3,000 feet per second. So they're obviously have got some better powders to build that up. And I think you can probably do a similar thing with your 30 at six Ackley improved, but do consult your hand loading manuals. Ackley himself, of course, had data for that. There are new powders since the 1960s when he was working on it. So I don't know of too many of my loading manuals that even cover the 30 at six Ackley improved. So I would say start with data for the 30 at six and then watch your pressure signs as you work up your loads. That's always the safest way to do load development. All right, buddy, that was a good question there. And everyone else, I really thank you for all those. Dan, you and your daughter getting started in hunting, man, I wish you the best of luck. Um, you're in Virginia, you're in whitetail country for sure. So get on out there and get yourself some venison. Let us know which rifle you guys choose. I do think that 6.5 Creedmoor would work well for both of you. Um, and you can buy rifles now that have youth length stocks and you can get spacers to add it on. So the longer armed shooters can use them as well. Um, that's one option. Another one is to buy an extra stock for it. If you get a full length adult size stock on a rifle and I want a smaller shooter, use it for about a hundred dollars in a place like, um, Brownells has quite a few different brands. Uh, the laminated stocks from Boyd's stocks in South Dakota, they've got some really good, um, laminated wood stocks, classy looking ones and some tricked out modern styles too don't cost all that much and they're easy to take on and off so i think you would enjoy that and help you guys out one rifle action with two different stocks and there you go all right those are the questions today i want to thank everybody especially our patrons uh for allowing me to use your uh, letters to me online to demonstrate what we do at patreon if you would like to join us go to patreon.com then punch in Ron Spomer Outdoors, and it'll tell you everything you need to know to join us and become a supporting member. And as we always say, keep the cameras rolling and the lights on. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer wishing you all the best on Honest and Shoot Straight.